Hi everybody, Michael Davis here and welcome to Bone to Pick. Happy New Year everybody. Uh, we wish you uh, much success and health in 2019. I can't think of a better way to kick off our 2019 Bone to Pick year than by sitting down with a, a true virtuoso and trailblazer, the great Carol Yonch. Uh, Carol has been the principal tuba of the Philadelphia Orchestra since 2006, a position she won when she was a senior at the University of Michigan. Uh, she is the first female tuba player in a major symphony orchestra anywhere in the world. Uh, in addition to her orchestral work, she is a renowned soloist, having appeared with the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Columbus Symphony, Albany Symphony, the St. Petersburg Symphony in Russia, as well as the U.S. Marine Band. Uh, she released her first solo CD, Cascades, in 2009. Uh, she is an esteemed teacher, active worldwide as a guest artist and a clinician. Uh, she's on the faculty at Yale. Um, she is a noted ultimate Frisbee player, as well as winning a tuba throwing competition, which we will certainly get into at some point here. Uh, she's also uh, got some incredibly cool new endeavors, Tubular, a, a cover band featuring tubas and euphoniums, uh, as well as a nonprofit that's in its uh, beginning stages, Tubas for Good, something, some really cool projects that she's involved in, and I'm just thrilled to have an opportunity to kick off our new year and uh, sit down and talk with uh, Carol about her extraordinary career. So Carol, thank you so much for coming today. I know you're in between yeah. shows with the New York Ballet and uh, we're, we're just thrilled to have you. Well, it's such a beautiful day outside. <laughs> Classic New York gray fog and rain. Yeah, it's raining all over the place. So I'm happy to be inside. Yeah, great. Well, we're happy you're here with us. So. Um, let's talk about your early years. I know that you grew up in a musical household, mm -hmm. started with the piano early on, euphonium, but just tell us about your journey through those years and you know what led you to the tuba. Yeah, so my mom forced me and my brother to take piano lessons. <laughs> um, my brother was eight and I was six, um, and so um, I have lots of like fond memories of crying at the piano because I didn't want to <laughs> be there. But um, she sent both of us to um, to Interlochen Arts Camp um, when I was nine, my brother's eleven, and so um, that was like the summer before band program started in our elementary school. So I got to choose my instrument at Interlochen, mm. and that was cool. Um, I took this class, instrument exploration, where they show you all the instruments, and then you get to pick one and learn it for the second half. Um, and basically, I just found that I was gravitating toward the weird kid instruments, that I didn't <laughs> want anything normal like a violin or a clarinet or a trumpet. So I was just like, euphonium, what's that? Like, I'll, I'll play that. So um, I wanted to do my own thing, I guess. And uh, yeah, just sort of... Um, kind of graduated to the tuba, I guess, when mm -hmm. I was 12, the way that, like, middle schoolers do. So, yeah. yeah. That's still pretty early, right, for a tube to start tuba, or is that about I was about seventh grade, so that's pretty okay. normal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then you went from there uh, uh, and ended up going to Interlock and yeah, right through the high school enough. years. Couldn't and, get uh, enough of that place. Well, so that place has <laughs> turned out so many uh, great musicians. Is, uh, yeah, and I still go back yeah. as much as I can. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so I, I did ended up doing five summers at Interlock and Arts Camp, and then uh, before I started going year-round, I went my sophomore, junior, and senior years at Interlock and Arts Academy. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, really wonderful place, but that's where I got, like, serious about the music stuff. Is that Did you start thinking about, wow, I could 
try to get an orchestral job at that point? Was that in your consciousness, <laughs> or that was just you just thinking about well, playing the tuba? <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing to talk about because if you like asked you know, miniature Carol, what she wanted with her life back then. Um, I, I think my, my idol at the time was Patrick Sheridan. Um, okay. who, like, Good uh, choice. <laughs> like, amazing tuba player and just like uh, incredible sense of humor as well. Sure. Like, like his album covers have him like with a cake on his head or like lollipops <laughs> sticking out. And, and uh, he's just really virtuosic, but also like really expressive. And, and I just, I wanted to be like him. So I wanted to be... Uh, a tuba soloist, um, but it was, you know, I, once I got to college and realized like uh, what what actual career options were, I was just like, maybe that's not a great idea. <laughs> maybe we try for like an actual job with a salary and stuff. Um, but I was actually lucky, like my timing worked out so that um, as I was sort of coming of age as a player, there were a ton of openings in the tuba mm. role, and for. Um, you know, trombone players know how like how rare the orchestral jobs are, but imagine if there was only one per orchestra, right? Course, so it's yeah. like a literal once in a lifetime opportunity. So um, yeah, you have to apply for it. So I sent you know tapes and resumes in for for everything from like San Francisco and Boston and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Philly and uh, Milwaukee. Like all of these were happening in like this kind of five year span where I was like starting to get good so I was just like let's do this you know wow um, so th this is now you're at University of Michigan right and studying with uh, Fritz Kanzig right and so he was I'm guessing your primary teacher at that oh, yeah. at that stage of mm -hmm. your uh, career in life yep cool it is interesting that there was that many uh, auditions open you know like you said it's only one chair so it's uh, right yeah that's and incredible. I should mention if you're going to talk about teachers I should mention Tom Rigobono because he gave me an amazing start in Iraqan so I actually studied with a trombone player okay. um, so that's why like I'm cool with the trombone yeah. stuff <laughs> most people aren't but it's, it's good to know that I, you're okay yeah, with the yeah. trombones well let's talk a little bit about uh well that that period because I know uh and just in doing the research for this this interview is fascinating to me that you'd reached the semifinals for the New York Philharmonic job that Alan Bear ended up getting but uh, yeah. what was that experience like you were only a sophomore at the University <laughs> of Michigan it's pretty incredible and kind yeah. of a forecast of what was going to come uh, you know later but well that that's a funny story actually because um, I actually made my tape for that audition over the summer um, the summer of 2003, I was at Henry Mancini Institute, which mm -hmm. sadly doesn't exist anymore, but there right. was an amazing summer festival out in L.A. Um, and Jim Self was my teacher there, and he actually, like, hooked me up. Like, the the festival set me up with uh, an actual recording engineer, and so, like, we had a great hall and a recording engineer. So, like, it was a really good quality tape. Um, but, you know, like, I think I did something like 43 takes of Also Sprock because, <laughs> because they demanded everything on CT. Tuba and so like blah, da, 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 blah, da, da. and so like you know I think take 34 was okay. Um, so I worked really hard on this tape and uh, and then I came back to school that fall and I played it for Kenzig and he was like mm, I don't think so maybe you should just like move on with your life because like you but I hadn't heard back from them yet and and so I basically like wasn't planning on hearing back from them. But but that and I was like planning a recital for like mid October and. <laughs> and then I I get this call, like, I think it was, like, a week or two before this recital of mine that was, like, we would like you to come audition for the New York Philharmonic in, like, 11 days or something. 
And so I was like, it was completely off my radar. And it was just like, hadn't been working on excerpts or anything. And so I was just like, um, it was a fun experience because I'm like, uh, like, uh, for me, I was 18, and I was just like in this room with it's all the semifinals of this audition, which was like a veritable who's who of the like, <laughs> tuba playing at that sure. moment. And so I'm just like, hi guys, I'm here too. And <laughs> and I remember the the book was like in alphabetical order, right? So okay. like, and the way they had the semifinals, you just played the book down in alphabetical order. And so it was like Berlioz, 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 and then Mahler. And so like, I was just like, I was in F tuba shape, so I was like nailing the Berlioz. I was like, yeah, Roman. That got it. Hungarian March got it, and then it was like <laughs> Mahler five, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not ready for this." <laughs> wow. But the personnel manager was like super nice. He was just like, "You gave it a really good effort. Keep working on it." And just like, thanks. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> wow, what to, to experience that at eighteen—that's uh, amazing. Well, obviously a precursor to what was going to come in uh, two thousand six, and. Uh, Maybe talk to us a little bit. We had the good fortune of having Blair Bollinger on as a yeah. on the show a, a couple of months back, and, and uh, he was telling us about how he heard the first time he heard the the tape or CD of right, you, uh, yeah. and how he tells the story better than I do. Well, so. it, it sounded pretty uh, pretty incredible, and he talks about how much it just blew his mind. And absolutely, she's in the audition. But yeah. like, tell us about the the experience of that, and then ultimately winning the position when you're still uh, a senior in college. Well, I like to tell this story because it's like. One of those, you know, when a, one door opens, one door closes, a window opens somewhere else or something. Um, because, you know, I actually sent my resume for the first opening of Philadelphia Orchestra and I got a rejection letter back, which, you know, when, when your resume basically says, like, Carol, a junior in college, like, that's, <laughs> you expect that. Um, <laughs> um, and so I got this rejection letter and I was kind of not really t thinking um, about it because that's just how it goes. And um, I was applying for summer festivals. I really wanted to go to Tanglewood. But then I found out early that I didn't get into Tanglewood. <laughs> so, um, so then like the guy, I was dating this trumpet player guy at the time who was just like, there's this brass festival in Maine we should check out. The application deadline hasn't happened yet. So I just like threw together this um, tape of stuff that like my New York Phil excerpts with some, uh, with uh, something I'd done on a recital recently. So like I just threw a tape together last month and that was the Catcheterian Violin Concerto. And um, <laughs> just threw that I just together. like threw it together. I wasn't even thinking about it. And so then, like, oh yeah, it's like it happened to be Blair listening to those tapes, and then like they happened to not hire anybody from that first round of auditions. And then that next round of auditions, they invited people who couldn't come to the first one. And so like that's that's how I got my <laughs> my back door in there. <laughs> wow, that's a good consolation prize for not not getting into We're Tanglewood, get, right? Right? Yeah. So it's I'll because it. because I did. So like kids, if you don't get into Tanglewood, it's going to be okay. <laughs> now you're you've you've won the position. Now uh, I guess you finish up your senior year at, at Michigan and right. then start the uh, yeah. Uh, what an awesome uh, thing! But what um, what was that like in your first? Maybe take us through your first season or first couple seasons. Like what? How was that? Uh, just kind of adjusting to the fact that you're now uh, one of the premier orchestras anywhere in the world. You're the tuba player. Well. First and foremost, it was awesome, right? Like, <laughs> I would think so. like going straight from college into like destination job, that was sweet. Um, and so like musically, just like incredibly fulfilling. And, and I feel like, I feel really fortunate that I um, sort of came of age playing with the, these people because, you know, you're, you're heavily influenced by the people you play with and you play 
if you play day in and day out with like such high quality musicians, like starts to rub off on you a little bit. So I'm really thankful course, that yeah. like that's what I've got in my ear now. Like, uh, you know, I'm 13 years in, and it feels like feels like home to mm -hmm. like have that kind of sound and stuff. So. Um, socially, pretty awkward. <laughs> like going from you know, University of Michigan, I had like forty thousand people who were in my like same life stage to like right. choose friends from to like a hundred people, most of whom were like old with kids. So like, <laughs> not as easy to like find the hang. So um, I think what I'm I'm glad about nowadays is that we've got like a really solid group of young people in the orchestra who like like to hang out with each other and so um, yeah I'm just really I, I, I try to like keep um, keep it positive for, for those people and like there's there's a new uh, flute player Olivia who just got in the orchestra she's 21 oh, I'm wow. just like let's be friends I know it's weird <laughs> like let's hang out <laughs> I'm sure you can uh guide her in the yeah, right direction no, to jump over the little pitfalls that might occur uh, from time to time yeah. for a young person in an orchestra. Yeah, know? it's very weird, so like adulting that young. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about musically? What are some of the highlights that you, looking back on, as you said, 13 years now, what, what are there any that, uh, I'm sure there's many, but are there yeah. any, any special two or three memories that jump out at you? And, uh, um, I think like kind of chronologically, my first time playing um, playing at the proms, which I think was like my very first European tour. The, mm. the fact that there are so many people in there and there's like standing room only, like uh, on the ground level, um, that's pretty sweet. Um, I thought, I don't, it's hard to pick out because there are like so <laughs> many good concerts and it's just gonna be what pops out at me right now. Um, last season we did Britain's War Requiem, which was really moving and mm. um, I don't know, uh, Bernstein's Mass was also really cool. Um, yeah, I <laughs> there are too many to choose from, so I, I bet, yeah, yeah, that's those are the first couple that pop out right now. If you ask me at a different cool. time, it'll be yeah, four or five well, other things. That, that's that's great, uh, great memories. What? How do you view? Maybe this is a little too general, but I'll, I'll take a chance on it anyway. How do you view the role of the tuba in the orchestra, and specifically, how do you view it? interacting with the trombone section since you guys are kind of yeah I mean you're your own entity that's for sure as the tubas right. but but um, certainly the trombones and the tuba are linked, yeah, and, linked together but how do you how do you view that that's that one regard? of the the hats that I wear right it's just sort of like part of the trombone section but um, for me it's uh, like it's a more interesting experience when when I get to wear different hats, you know, because some, some composers write for you as an extension of, of the trombone section, and it's like, that's cool, it's fine. Um, but I also, uh, you know, the reason why I think so many tuba players love playing Prokofiev is because, like, you get to s switch roles like that. So, like, right. you'll be accompanying, you know, low strings or just, like, kind of filling out different kinds of sound colors. So, for me, like, you know, primary responsibility is, is being... Uh, a solid base for the entire brass section, right? That like, that my my sounds, my pitch, um, and and is right on time and right there, so it makes everybody else feel more comfortable playing their parts. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I do my job right, like they don't really notice, but they just know that it's more comfortable to play. And sure. um, and I feel like sound-wise, it can be to bridge the the 
gap between, not, not gap, but like bridge the sound quality between like the brass and the low strings. So like um, I'm more of a, a blender than a sticker outer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well said, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Very eloquent, I know. <laughs> Yeah, and for sure, I think you're absolutely right. It's the same in, in, in my world of more commercial and jazz and pop, whatever. But it all comes from the bass, you know, that the, yeah. the tuning certainly is all from down from, from yeah. that sound. So it's so so it's really nice the way you put that. That's uh, so so important. Um, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit outside of the orchestra and talk about your solo career. Um, I know you released your first solo CD, uh, mm -hmm. Cascades, in 2009, so that's been it's a while been a ago. While. <laughs> I'm sure you've got more. Well, we're going to talk about your other projects. I've been to do another one, but I've got all these other things happening. So. But um, maybe talk about how that has evolved. I know you've, you've soloed with various orchestras around the world, including mm -hmm. in Russia. That must have been pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, um, but talk about your, your solo playing a little bit and, and uh, what, uh, what motivated you to get into that side of things. Um, I probably just wanted to play the melody. <laughs> like, I've I've always loved like, uh, yeah, just getting to play solos, like uh -huh. being the prominent voice, and it's it's weird now. It's it's evolved to the point where it, like it feels like a very separate life than like the life of an orchestral tuba player. Because if I if I get like an orchestral solo, like I get so nervous because like <laughs> oh, really? wow. I'm so like. I'm so used to playing with the orchestra that like and and I feel like my job is to like fit in with what everyone's doing so I don't think of like there being a spotlight on me until like we get to that part of American in Paris where everything stops and just like you know um so like that that makes it even though that's this like the easiest solo in the universe like it just it it gets me somehow but like for some reason, like playing a concerto, like because I'm in in the moment and and like I'm carrying the thing the whole time, you can get like in in the zone, and mm -hmm. that's um, it's just a completely different way of like you don't get to be in the zone very often as an orchestral tuba player, sure, right? So it's sure. like it's a completely different like mental experience. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the piece. Um, I, I'm not familiar with this piece, but I'm going to be as soon as we get that here. But uh, Reflections on the Mississippi by uh, Michael oh, yeah. Dottie. Yeah, that was fun. So um, I got to work with Michael uh -huh. and the creation of that piece. And I'm, I'm really pleased with what he came up with because I think it has some really gorgeous melodies in it, mm. um, which like it's like simple but beautiful. It feels very like Americana. Mm -hmm. um, and... Yeah, some some places to show off, but like it, I think it lies really well for the instrument because he studied so much. Like I spent like these marathon sessions, and these poor students at Michigan like <laughs> had to do even more of them. Like when I wasn't in town, so like he would just kill my face because he'd be like, "Okay, and, like here's this uh, this like clip, and so try it. Okay, and then try it this way, and then try it that way." And so we would just go for like five hours. We'd be like, "I need a break, dude," <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it was just cool to be a part of that process and I think it, it turned out nicely. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, we'll all check that out for sure. Um, let's talk about your work uh, as, as an educator, as a teacher, and uh, I know you inspire students where I'm sure pretty much wherever you go, I get the, the energy off you. Uh, I, I can imagine it's great getting an opportunity to study with you, but I know you're on faculty at Yale. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. I'm sure you see Scott Hartman regularly oh, yeah. up there, who's my yeah. good buddy from uh, way back when, but, uh, but uh, how's... Maybe just talk about that side of your career a little bit now. I know you're so young that it's yeah. like seems like, but you're already a, a very esteemed educator. So, 
How's that uh, thing? Well, I, teaching was really important for me in, in my personal growth because I think, I think it could have been really easy to to get a job so young and then kind of like, uh, I, I'm not the type to be complacent at all, but like, <laughs> but sort of you know like slow your roll and um, and it it was kind of jarring. One of the most jarring things about like going from school to the job was not having a teacher anymore. Mm. So like not having someone like help you figure out what to do from week to week and becoming that for yourself. Like that was a real adjustment. And um, part of what really helped me like gain direction for myself was having to teach students, having to verbalize the things that I think about mm. when I'm playing and, and like basically like create my own like verbalize my own pedagogy and so like um, so figuring that out over the course of time it was like I feel bad for the people who studied with me like 10 years ago because I had no <laughs> idea what I was talking about but like I feel like eventually I, I, like, that, I found <laughs> my point where like okay now I know what I'm talking about so like I, I'm well starting to get there anyway but <laughs> but I think it's uh, I think the the one serves the other right that like like teaching helps me understand more what I'm doing when I'm playing and then playing like having that experience and thinking about those things helps me teach better so like I really love the balance that I have there where um, I've got a couple really great students at um, at Yale and sometimes I have one at Temple but um, but yeah it 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 just really enhances what I do so I, I uh, can plan on continuing. <laughs> yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your uh, cover band. Yeah. So it's really uh, interesting. Not, uh, not something you hear from orchestral musicians, but certainly yeah. tuba players. But uh, tell us about Tubular a little bit. So Tubular is basically like my buddies from college who was like, uh, wanted to start a band. Um, uh, I had a, a, I got hired to do a, a concert for the Philadelphia Chamber Music Society, and um, I was just like, "Man, I could do brass quintet, but you know, sometimes it's hard to talk people into doing stuff." <laughs> I was like, "What if I just like ask my friends?" And and, and um, a bunch of my friends from from school had gotten uh, jobs in the military bands on the East Coast, so between uh, D.C. and Baltimore. So, um, so I asked the guy, like, "Do you guys want to do this thing?" And then. And then as we were like working on this show, we're like, what if we tried to like be a band? And at first you're just sort of like, okay, you hear like tuba euphonium quartet becoming a band. Like who's going to want to like come to a bar and hear a tuba euphonium quartet? Like that's, uh, okay, so first things first, like we got to have a drummer. And I was like, this is going to be just stupid. So, <laughs> so Scott Devereaux is my other tuba player in the band. He plays in the Army Field Band and he asked his friend Andy, who is the man. Thank you, Andy, for everything because we would be nothing without you. He's our authenticator. He is just crazy good drummer um, and he just makes the group. And so, um, but originally it was going to be like yeah we'll all like contribute charts and we'll start just sort of like feeling out what we want to play but um somehow i just be ended up being the only one who <laughs> followed through with that so but over the years uh, you know i think it was like t uh 2016 where i was just like my new year's re new year's resolution was to make a uh, at least one tubular chart per month, and wow. um, and and I did that, and so like I, I I'm over a hundred charts in now. So like we've we've got a great rep list, and we've really found our stride as a band. We we learned from our early gigs that like 
Um, yeah, so we're gonna need to not play the whole time. So we're like, how do we like get around the problem of like we can only play for so long in a row? And what we've landed on is like making everybody do vocals too. So uh -huh. started off with like little bits where we'd have a sing along where each person takes a song, and 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 now I've got like I've I've learned to write for like specific people and their you know strengths, and so like. It's amazing because Greg Batista is our first euphonium, and I can basically write him trumpet parts, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's super good at that. And like Michael Brown is um, our second euphonium, or we call him rhythm euphonium. Sorry, <laughs> rhythm euphonium. Um, <laughs> but he's also like our featured vocalist because like he's the crowd favorite. Um, so he he sings all of Despacito in Spanish, but he doesn't speak a word of Spanish. Like he Impressive. has no idea what he's saying. <laughs> Um, in this like wonderful falsetto, um, and yeah, we're gonna make Andy start singing t soon too. He's gonna, um, I just arranged Africa for us, and so oh, it's gonna be. Oh wow! Yeah, so I, nice. I should mention we do everything from like probably the earliest stuff on our charts is like the Beatles, but it goes from. Um, you know, Stevie Wonder, Led Zeppelin, uh, Jackson 5 is a really good chart, and like Michael Jackson, <laughs> to like the Lady Gaga, Beyonce, um, the more modern stuff to like Katy Perry. Like, we, we kind of, whatever we feel like playing, we play it. So, so um, slightly different playlist than the Philadelphia Orchestra. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's a really fulfilling thing for us, and, and it's, it, like it's silly, but it's like we don't take ourselves too seriously. Like it's been really interesting for me to to experience all this. It gives me a lot more respect for the commercial side of things because mm -hmm. like trying to book bar gigs is like way harder than I thought it would be. Like, oh my God, right? why is this so difficult? And, and I'm just like, because like I started out and I was like, Hey, so it's, um, can we play your bar? My name's Karen. Like, I dropped the Philadelphia Orchestra card. I'm just like, hey, so I play in the Philadelphia Orchestra. My, my band plays in premier military bands. <laughs> like, we're really good. And they're just like, they give no shits. <laughs> like, they're just like, they, they're just like, how many people can you draw? How much alcohol right, can you sell right. for us? And we're just like, well, we don't know. We've never played a real gig before. <laughs> and so it took us like a couple years to like, to figure that out, and we luckily found this really weird bar in Philly that has been a great home for us, called Frankie Bradley's. Okay. So, so like much, like so much respect to the commercial stuff, uh, but it's like, and for us, like, uh, it's just, we get to be so alive, and it's like a visceral connection with like the audience to have people like jamming, like dancing and singing along, sure, yeah. and to, like while you're playing. It's just so different from the orchestra, and so like obviously like each thing has its place. But for for me, it's it's just fun to have like have it both ways, I guess. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, I hope I get to hear you guys. That's, yeah, uh, very cool. Um, Another project that sounds amazing, Tubas for Good. Tell us a little bit about that, a nonprofit you're starting, and, and where do you envision that going? Yeah, um, very much in its infancy, but yeah. um, basically the seeds of it were planted when I was talking to a friend of mine who teaches brass in the Philly public schools, and I was just making conversation, and I was just like, so you got any good tuba students this year? And he was just like, are you kidding me? We don't have any tubas. <laughs> And I was just like, "What? How do you like? How do you teach a brass program and not have any tubas? That's ridiculous." And but that was like a few years ago, and so um, I got some inheritance money from my grandparents, and and I was just like, "What do I want to 
do with this? And so basically I was just like, oh, I'm going to set up a, a fund to... Um, to buy instruments for so loan to, to loan to Philadelphia uh, school kids, and so like we're still figuring out like the partnership because there are a lot of great programs in Philly set up already to like teach kids. So like um, so we're hoping to just sort of like insert just a bunch of tubas and euphoniums into the Philly public schools and make mm. like a hotbed of like young tuba players. So um, we've already. Um, Purchased the first set. Um, for, so we've got like an elite tuba youth quartet in the um, in the Philly schools, um, and so like I have a partnership with Yamaha, and we bought like brand new like silver wow. plated fancy Great. like for them to so that they can like you know feel some ownership over mm -hmm. like this really nice instrument, and like hopefully like gives them the like good feedback so that they can feel. Uh, let's have more fun, like have a more uh, gratifying experience playing an instrument rather than like if you're handed this like dumpster fire of an instrument, like <laughs> you're not gonna like have a great musical experience, you know? So um, so basically, yeah, we're, we're almost up and running with a website. Maybe by the time this airs, the website will be up and running, but um, it'll be tubasforgood.com um, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll take donations on the site, but the other part of it that will be set up in the future is that all my um, so I've been doing so much arranging for tubular and for um, these mass uh, tube ensemble events that we do every spring that we can circle back to. But mm -hmm. um, but because I've been doing so much arranging, um, I figured why not take that um, intellectual property basically and and have that be uh, fundraiser material for the nonprofit. So mm -hmm. basically, there will be a store page for the nonprofit, um, which has all my public domain <laughs> intellectual property like uh, uh, arrangements, and my recording will be up there in in a pay as you wish donation format, mm. where all of the proceeds will go to Tubas for Good to buying mouthpieces and instruments and like other supplies for for kids in the schools to use, and eventually we'll. I want to do more like community events and stuff, but like as it grows, we're just sort of like starting small and like feeling out where to go from here. Wow, that's fantastic! Though, what a great, uh, what a great project, and I wish you all the luck with that. That sounds like yeah, it's, a lot it's of so good much work. Starting a nonprofit, oh is yeah, like <laughs> every step turns into like three thousand other steps. <laughs> so um, that's why it's it's taken a minute. Yeah, well, it's awesome. Keep up the great work. That's Thanks. very cool. What is tuba throwing contest? Oh gosh, that's so. <laughs> I mean, I think people keep asking about that because it's on my Wikipedia page or something. <laughs> but um, they used to do these at tuba conferences, which I think is awesome. Like, you know, guys, we play the tubas. Like, do we really take ourselves so like after? So this was at the the tuba conference in Finland in two thousand one. Um, but after that, I guess like the the tuba figureheads powers that be uh, whoever decided that like it wasn't helping promote the instrument to be throwing it around like that <laughs> but i disagree i think it <laughs> shows that we're fun people yeah. <laughs> who don't take ourselves too seriously like yeah, that's, to, what, that's uh, that they were more fun to be around. I don't know. I just it's not like we're taking brand new ones and throwing them around. Anyway, um so like 
so that used to be a tradition that tuba conferences that would be there would be like a tuba throwing competition and um, and this one in in Finland because it's the land of lakes um, we did it that end of a dock right <laughs> and they had this beat up old horn that they plugged the styrofoam so it, it was just a very important step and I was observing everyone that went before me and I saw that the people who were throwing it furthest were the ones who were like following that momentum into the water and so. I did that because, <laughs> of course. Um, but see, like I didn't even win the competition. I wasn't even close to winning the competition. But like they they announced later that I won the women's division, right? Because like I was the only girl who was willing to jump in the water. <laughs> so I mean, I I don't feel like it should get as much uh, attention as it's that. It's a pretty but, good story, I gotta yeah. say. <laughs> um. And you've got so much on your plate. It's really, it's, it's just fantastic to hear about all your projects that you're doing. Um, long term, as you look forward to your career, do you, um, are you, it sounds like you're looking at all these other aspects in addition to what you're doing, in addition to your day job, yeah. so to speak. Um, do you look down the road and think, wow, I wonder what, you know, the Chicago Symphony when Gene retires or, you know, whatever, any of these positions, are you are you kind of looking at like, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in Philly and, uh, and I'm loving it and I'm doing all my other work, or you, is it not even part of your consciousness at this stage of the game? Um, I don't pretend to be able to predict the future, but... Um I think I think I'm really happy with everything that I have in Philly. Like it's <laughs> uh, it's a really good set. I mean, like I I love my orchestra. I love my city. Um, I've got like great friends and like and all these projects happening too. Like um, it's hard to imagine moving, but like you know you never know. Life things change, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I just hope to like obviously like the the orchestra is like first priority and then like uh, like filling it out with whatever I can um, I, I just feel like it's it's a good setup and I'm thankful to be able to do all the other things because the orchestra has facilitated all of that so. yeah well you guys certainly have as good a brass section uh, as you could possibly imagine <laughs> I mean David Bilger all the way down yeah. to yourself and Nitsan and Blair it's a pretty special collection of folks so I'm sure uh, in a place so yeah that's yeah. that's awesome uh, in terms of the solo work, do you have any uh, plans on another CD or anything on the horizon that way? Or? I I would like to make some time for that, but you know, um, it, it just it's kind of just like fighting deadlines at this point. <laughs> so, um, but maybe I'll carve out some time next year. That's but I feel like I've said that for the past three or four years. So we'll, well see. It's, when you're starting <laughs> starting a non for profit, it's like uh, right. There's yeah, not, not a lot of extra uh, hours in the day, especially yeah. when you have a full time position at an orchestra. And then you start having all these ideas. I'm just like, wh and we're doing like a, a Valentine's Day show with Tubular. We're doing shows in both Philly and Baltimore. So like, oh, now wow, I'm just cool. like now I have all these ideas for like charts that we have to do for that. So. Um, what so, club do you play in Baltimore, just so, in case any of our listeners uh, from Baltimore uh, might be it's, there? It's going to be at this like private art space, because we can't break into the <laughs> bars of Baltimore yet. We're hopeful, hopeful that after this like private show that then oh, okay. there will be, but okay. uh, it's, we'll advertise on Facebook. We'll Facebook.com slash tubular band, and you can okay. see our stuff there. And the Philly show will be at your regular... Uh, at Frankie Bradley's. At Frankie Bradley's, okay. Yeah. So all our Philly viewers know where to get, know where to find tubular yes. coming up on uh, Valentine's Day. Pre-Valentine's tubular <laughs> special. Yeah. 
Carol, this has been so awesome, and I don't want to take up more of your time. You're like right in between shows. You got to yeah. grab grab a bite. It's uh, you've been very generous, and we sure appreciate it. It's been awesome and inspiring. And uh, um, I always kind of like wrap up. And you were such a you were such a perfect person to ask because you're very young and, and energized and and uh, so much. Uh, positive uh, direction in your career and, and uh, your life and music. But if you could offer like young, not just ladies, anybody out there who's looking at you and saying, wow, I want to I do, I be Carol, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> somehow find a, find a voice, but also like achieve all this greatness within this, uh, this structured environment of the orchestra. Is there any, uh, just kind of couple thoughts that you, uh, could impart on uh, young young folks out there that uh, are inspired by what you've done. I I'm a firm believer in hard work, basically, um, and I think if you can find your right motivation and hold on to that, and like give yourself the the kind of small chunks like goals where it's like it's like a bite sized chunk where you you like um, you can find that kind of rhythm in the practice room where like. Um, where you give yourself a task and then like can complete that successfully and like can slowly build on that like um, you know efficient like task oriented hard work I think uh, pays off really well um, that you know I feel like we're a little bit in the the internet generation where like because we see stuff on YouTube we expect everything to be like instant gratification like right. and so like you know you don't see the like years of preparation that goes into everything but um, uh, I think like having that kind of diligence is is what pays off in the end and, and if you have a dream like if you want to want something to happen like you you can realize that if you just keep at it and so, like that's one of the cool things for me about tubular is that like it just started as this like idea like hey scott like what do you think about starting a band <laughs> and he's like that sounds cool but like how are we gonna and like you know four years later like here we are like playing shows at bars so, like and where like real people are like they're having a great time so um yeah just like just be persistent with that hard work that's awesome yeah well thanks carol for uh for everything good luck in 2019 not that you need it <laughs> everything's like uh, right in line there but uh it's been it's been a really a real pleasure and uh and uh, everybody check out tubular coming yeah. up in february and uh, <laughs> and we will see all of you next time on bone to pick